I'm your health coach, Melissa Lee. Here at Thriving with Nourishment Health, I provide women with the resources to reclaim fertility and celebrate periods through the lens of functional medicine. It is time to empower ourselves with natural solutions over band-aid medicines. We will get to the root cause of symptoms to see the bigger picture. Let us find the ability to heal ourselves, get back to Mother Nature, and live in a healthier world. Hi everyone, say hi to Sarah Seitz, co-founder and CEO of Wavelength, a modern program for healthy eating that combines personalized, personalized nutrition with mental health tools. Sarah has an amazing backstory, which we will hear in weight loss, being able to lose 150 pounds once she understood the root causes of her eating habits and pre-diabetes. She's a fierce advocate for more science, less blame, and pleasure as an important part of health. I'm really excited to have Sarah on the show today to discuss the challenges around weight loss, the emotions, and most importantly, I think, behavioral changes that are needed to prove successful. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so this I got to know too. So just let us know what your incredible story is with like 150 pound weight loss. Yeah, so I, as you mentioned, um, I was diagnosed with prediabetes when I was 15. Uh, I was also diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome when I was 12. And then my junior year of high school, so like 16, 17, I gained about a hundred pounds and then put on about 50. I, I'd put on a little weight prior and a little bit more weight after, but really rapid weight gain pretty early in my life. And I tried, I mean, as you can imagine, I tried everything, the advice that I was getting from my doctors for the prediabetes, for the PCOS, for the weight gain right. was lose weight. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, I did everything under the sun. I did point systems. I did public weigh-ins. I had a nutrition coach. I had a dietitian. I had a, um, you know, I did all those like wild lemon juice and cayenne pepper cleanses, literally everything I could try and nothing worked. And this is, I know now, absolutely not a unique story, right? Somewhere between 92 and 99% of women who are trying to lose weight will not reach their goal. Uh, most of them are actually going to gain more weight through their dieting efforts. Um, and, but at the time, you know, I, it, it was a long time ago now. And, um, really the conversation around dieting wasn't where it is now. And I really just blame myself. I just felt like a failure. I really thought what was happening to me was happening because I sucked. I was just not as disciplined as the thin people around me were. And this just really affected my core sense of mm. self-worth. It, it really started to erode kind of my belief in myself as a valuable person, as a valuable sexual partner, as like someone that was con competent and disciplined. My mom has a really similar story around the time this was happening to me. She was looking at 50 and literally couldn't walk around the block. She was very scared. She was going to die. And, um, she's actually a scientist. She's got a PhD and a couple of master's degrees, one of which is in nutrition science. She's like a very tenacious, really intense driven person. And she was just like starting to question this narrative a little bit, that this was a discipline problem. Like she doesn't struggle with self-discipline in any other aspect of her life. And she literally has an advanced degree in what to eat 
why could she not change her eating habits? And this led her to ask a a really radical question at the time, not what should we be eating, but why do we eat and how can we change this? And this led her to mindfulness, something called reward-based learning and something called dialectical behavior therapy. And she just started like going through all of the research that she could find in addiction science, nutrition science, metabolic science, um, neuroscience, and trying to kind of map these things onto her lived experience and my lived experience. And when she started addressing these questions of like, what are the root causes of my eating? choices, things started to change for her really, really rapidly. And during that time I lost about 150 pounds. My mom lost about 170 pounds. And this was like 12 years ago now. Um, Mm. and our experience together and what we learned through all of this research is really what, what allowed us to lose the weight. And then what, what inspired us to create wavelength. Yeah, that is, um, that is amazing, especially because you and your mom are, we're on like almost a, like a parallel journey. Um, I also wanted to say that, um, you know, when you talked about like how it affected your self-worth and like, I think that is really, really like a toxicity mind mm-hmm. track that is so easy to fall down into. And um, I'm so glad that you got out of it and, you know, um, managed to form Weightlang, which is like a platform, right? For like weight loss app, and yeah. behavior, right? Um, so, you know, when it comes to like behavioral change and weight loss, like, you know, for you and your mom, for example, what were some like big takeaways? Yeah. So one of the first things that we really discovered is how shame inhibits behavior change. So there's actually a lot of scientific evidence that the neurological processes associated with shame inhibit the brain's abilities to create new neural pathways and build new behaviors. And so what happens is, right, we're steeped in shame because especially as women, we've lived our whole lives learning like like the worst thing you could possibly ever become is fat. Now you're fat. Um, And it's very shame inducing. And that shame itself actually prevents you from making any changes. And so like how that shows up there, there's, there's brain science behind this, but I think it's helpful to like map the lived experience a little bit here. So what that can often sound like as you're going through your day-to-day life is like when you're feeling ashamed of your behavior and of your appearance, the answer to every why question is I suck. Why did I eat that entire pan of brownies? Well, it's because I'm bad. It's because I, I I have no self-discipline and I just, I'm just, I just suck. And you can't learn anything from that. That is, that absolutely stops the learning experience and there's nothing to do then, but repeat it. But once you can quiet that shame and you come home and you eat an entire pan of brownies, you can say why. And instead of getting the answer, because I suck, you can look for the actual answer, which eating, eating choices are about cause and effect and everything from your genetics to your diet history, to how much sleep you got last night, to what you eat to for breakfast this morning, all of that impacts your eating choices. And when you can start to look at your life and look at your behavior and connect the dots, what is driving that choice, then you can start to change it. But before, while you're in that shame spiral, until you've calmed that shame down, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to look at those patterns. And so the first step to be changing your behavior is actually just like 
calming that shame, which is easier said than done. And we spent right. a lot of time on that. And I, I'm happy to kind of talk through the neuroscience of that process as well. But I think that that's really the first step. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, the whole shame piece. Um, I like what you said about um, looking for like the root causes of why you made that choice in the first place. And you mentioned lack of sleep. It is totally um, in science that if you have a lack of sleep or you don't sleep enough, like you wake up, your cortisol is really high. Um, your body's just wanting more sugar the next day. Um, and I think that's very important to note as well. Like a lot of things surrounding you are affecting your choices when you eat. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and look, like you're going to have nights of bad sleep. You might have a lot of nights of bad sleep in a row. Um, and so a lot of what we focus on is like what to do when that happens. Obviously getting better sleep is better for everyone, but that's a tough nut to crack. And right. um, there are things you can do for yourself throughout the course of the next day to calm your nervous system down, to lower your cortisol levels, to reduce your sugar cravings and to reduce your need to cope through food. Um, Mm -hmm. and so making it less likely that that pattern is going to run bad sleep, pan of brownies, and instead you can do something else and, and improve your experience. So you talked about, um, you know, how shame gets in the way of losing weight and a lot of like breaking the pattern. Um, So then you mentioned also that shame, um, you know, we have to calm our nervous system, um, kind of lower our cortisol. So in that aspect, which like, what would you say can help with that, you know, regulating the nervous system? So, I mean, there are a few questions there. First, there's like, how do we regulate our nervous system just as we move through life? And then there's the question of calming shame. And those processes are, there are, they're distinct processes. They're, they're a little different from each other. As far as regulating your nervous system goes, um, there are basically lots of things that uh, cause us to have a, basically a fight or fight response. Even if you're not experiencing it that way, the activity in our nervous system gets activated, uh, and everything from like experiences that we might consider positive, like walking through a stimulating crowd or attending a party to like, obviously negative experiences, like a stressful interaction at work or, you know, something like scary happening. Um, all of that can kind of flip our brains into what I call coping mode. Um, and our brains know that eating is an extremely fast and effective way to calm our nervous systems down. And, and from an evolutionary perspective, this is like really good, right? You can imagine the person that didn't enjoy eating is not going to last in the gene pool for very long. It's really, really good that we are driven to eat, that we find it to be a pleasurable experience, that it's part of our habit loop. Um, but now we live in a food environment where not only do we have like just an enormous amount of caloric availability, but, but that's old news, right? We've had access to plenty of calories throughout history for a while. Um, but what is really new is that a lot of the food that we're exposed to is like literally engineered in a lab to light up our dopamine reward system. And what that does is it just moves food to the very top of our list of coping, coping mechanisms. So stressful experience, our brains know that we, if we eat, we can calm our nervous systems down, exciting experience, eat, calm the nervous system down. Mm-hmm. And the list just goes on and on and on. So when we're trying to reduce our eating, the first place we got to look is the nervous system. And there are a lot of different ways to approach calming it down. Um, but 
at, at their core, they're all actually about self-care. And I don't mean like light up, light a candle, take a bath kind of self-care, which is like nice, but somewhat aspirational. Um, there are really two kinds of self-care. There's what I call proactive self-care. And this is everything from like planning to take that bath and lighting the candle. And it's also stuff like managing your finances. So that's not stressing you out and cleaning your house. So that's not stressing you out getting a haircut, but it's really hard to do those things if you're in a state of activated nervous system, that's stuff that requires a lot of executive function. Most of us like don't have the wherewithal when we're super, super activated and super stressed to do that. So we need to look at things that I call re responsive self-care. Once we're in that state, what can we do right now? That's maybe not like wellness culture endorsed. That's going to just like calm us down. And this can be everything from like taking a breath, closing the door in the bathroom, taking an extra minute on the toilet and like looking at Instagram, or it can be having a glass of wine in front of the television. These are not like what we would consider classically health promoting activities, but when you're really activated, that's the starting place. Because if you're going for the bath with the candle lit, most people are not going to get there. Um, and so that's, that's the approach that really taken wavelength. And I would say like what you if you're activated and you're trying to deactivate your nervous system, go for what gives you pleasure. That's the first place to start. So if you love look like if you're like me and you love looking at fashion Instagram accounts, start there. Um, <laughs> and don't worry so much about whether it seems like quote unquote, good behavior <laughs> that, that actually does your nervous system doesn't care about that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really important too. Like I love the, the term responsive self-care. That's really cool. Um, and also I think like the pressure of like, okay, I have to do this sort of behavior that I've seen in wellness industries. Um, that's a yeah. lot of pressure too. It just becomes another thing on the to-do list. And like yeah. people always come to wavelength and they're like, okay, I need to start exercising. I need to meal prep. And I'm like, you need to do less. What can we take off of your list. And that's usually a good starting place for people. Yeah, I love that. Um, so, you know, when it comes to um, intuitive eating and the anti-diet movement, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, I think it's so wonderful that we're starting to have a conversation about a, the fact that women's purpose on earth is not to lose weight. Um, and that, I love that. yeah, I mean, if you think about, I, I just, it's really easy to get angry when you think about how much of women's mind share is going to dieting and body perfection. Um, and it's also great that the anti-diet conversation has like brought to the forefront, this, this, recognition that restricted diets often have backlash. They're bad for our hunger and satiety cues. They create what's called the binge and restrict cycle, which makes it very hard to engage in healthy habits. Um, and they usually result in weight gain long-term intuitive eating is awesome for folks who are not in what I call like an emergency state, but it misses a lot. So the intuitive eating and anti-diet movement is largely led by women with a very particular, uh, disruption in their relationship with food. And they tend to be thin bodied and they tend to have a typical presentation of like anorexic tendencies. And so you can really see how like rejecting diet culture is super useful for them, but 
my experience was very different from their experience. I was truly out of control with eating and dieting was not the cause. Um, it was, it's one thing that can cause disruption in your relationship with food, but metabolism causes it and the food environment we live in causes it. And so I think intuitive eating is awesome. It's awesome for people who are a little further along on their journey. Mm -hmm. It's awesome for people with a very specific disruption in their relationship with food, but it leaves a lot of people out in the cold. And so it felt like, I felt like I saw this, I was looking around as a person struggling with this. And I was thinking like, okay, I like what these folks are saying about it, not being a food, not being moral about this, Mm -hmm. not being a character flaw, but then they're just telling me to listen to my body. My body is just telling me to constantly eat hot pockets and diet Coke. Like I, am I doing it wrong? What's happening here? Um, and so as, as my mom and I went on this journey together, I started to understand more and more why that is happening. And so we definitely incorporate elements of intuitive eating. Um, but for most folks, they need a little bit more support on the neurological level and the nutritional level than that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's really great that especially about the whole intuition thing. Um, I think it's been touted as like a woman's essence mm-hmm. to follow your intuition. Um, and I also like that you talked about how some root causes of weight loss is also linked to metabolism. Um, I wanted to um, also share that, you know, this episode is mostly linked to like behavioral change and the mindset that we're talking about when it comes to weight loss. Um, obviously, there are other factors like, you know, thyroid function or gut health that could also Uh, be linked to weight gain. Absolutely. (laughs) When it comes to PCOS, uh, weight loss is obviously a big goal for many, especially those who are more in the overweight section. Mm -hmm. So how can women with PCOS start to approach this goal with like a healthier mindset? I mean, for folks with PCOS and folks without, the first step is the same. It's about looking at the shame that we talked about. And, um, I think like a lot of the, the content that's out there now and the resources out there now to help with body shame, to help with eating shame, maybe start a little further on the journey than I was. Like I looked at a lot of that stuff. That's like, start a gratitude list about your body. Look in the mirror and compliment yourself. Like I was like, well, maybe that's for somebody else, but I don't see how that's going to work for me. Like I look in the mirror and I just, I just feel upset. Um, and so what I actually realized you need to start with isn't like you're great. It's you're normal. Like if you're out there struggling in your relationship to food and body, and you're out there struggling with PCOS, the first step to eradicating shame is like, Hey, millions and millions and millions of other people have this struggle. (laughs) It's you don't suck. It's about your biology. It's not about your character. And as you sit with this idea that I I'm not extra bad, I'm just regular bad. It leaves this like little slice of room for you to start to recognize that your body, your appearance, your eating behaviors are really only one slice of your experience. And you can get that shame to what I, I like to say, like 
the goal here isn't to love your body all the time, right? Acceptance and approval are not the same thing. The goal is just to get your feelings about their, your body back in their lane so that you can look in the mirror and think like, well, yes, it would be nice if my hair weren't thinning. Well, yeah, it would be nice if I didn't have this acne, but like there's more to me than that. And it doesn't start to like, the alternative is like, you're disgusting. No one could love you, which sounds like harsh language, but boy, that is what my inner monologue sounded like. And I'm bet it's going to resonate with people. It's about toning that down to, I am a multifaceted person and I really don't like having this acne. Um, and, and so like, that's kind of the goal when it comes to managing shame. If you have PCOS, um, without a doubt, the most impactful thing you can do right away is reduce your processed carb intake um, and manage that insulin response. Um, your cravings are more intense than people without PCOS likely, and your weight's going to come off slower. And that's probably the single biggest change you can make. That's going to have the single greatest impact right away. However, um, <laughs> starting there, I like to say is like jumping out of an airplane and then having mm. someone hand do a parachute. Like you've got to work on the behavioral stuff at the same time, or you're just going to have the same experience you always have with, with, um, with restrictive diets. And so that's why we make sure that those two things, that shame and the work on the behavior is happening at the same time as the diet change. Right. It's like a combination. Yeah, exactly. So if women are actually, you know, kind of on the route to gaining weight, uh, they're mm -hmm. facing weight gain, they know they're gaining weight. Um, how can how can they deal with like the ongoing or emerging bo uh, body image issues and low mm -hmm. self esteem? Yeah, I mean, look, there's not a magic bullet for this one. Um, and I see folks in all different walks of life going through this experience. Did you know the average one, the average person gained 30 pounds over the course of the During pandemic? The pandemic? Oh. Yeah. I would not be surprised. <laughs> yeah. So okay. there are different people fall into different categories. Sometimes people come to me and they're like, I just had my third kid and I gained 15 pounds. And to them, I say, I totally understand why having a changing body is a difficult experience for you. You have a body shame challenge, not a weight challenge, right? That's actually totally expected. There's not, there's no negative health outcomes associated with that kind of weight gain. Um, and it's a hard conversation to have because that's not why people come to me. But the fact of the matter is I don't have the magic recipe for losing 15 pounds after your third kid. Um, there's just no way that doesn't involve a lot of white knuckling to keep that weight off. Now, if you're experiencing 30 pounds of weight gain, 40 pounds of weight gain over the course of the pandemic, that's so obviously experiential. We've all just gone through a huge collective trauma. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like every, I, I was having breakfast with my team today for the first time since February of 2020, we were all oh, together. I know. Nice. <laughs> and every time we take a step back to normalcy, I realized how traumatized I was by what happened, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, that was such a difficult, horrible experience that we all just lived through. Um, and there are absolutely things that we can do about that. But the starting place again is with shame. If that's you, if you gained 40 pounds, 50 pounds, 20 pounds during the pandemic, you, congratulations, you are amongst the majority of people. And anybody who is thinking anything negative about you 
is a jerk. It's their problem. It's not your problem. You're, ha- you're having a biological experience that is nearly universal. And yeah, there's things we can do to help you feel better in your body, but this is not a personal failing. I like that you brought that up. I do. I just heard this um, from a couple of people actually that I've met over the past like few months and they definitely talked about the whole pandemic Um, weight gain. So it's definitely a thing that people are struggling with. Oh yeah. Big time. And, and like I said, you know, these behavioral for most folks who experience pandemic weight gain, it is largely a behavioral and emotional eating issue. Um, and it's not hard to connect the dots, right? Lots of availability. Many, many people were trapped in their houses and just a super, super stressful situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, that can absolutely be walked back, but it's not your fault. <laughs> you didn't do anything wrong. Why is it that willpower alone will, you know, literally never be enough to sustain weight loss? Well, I mean, I mentioned this earlier in the conversation that from an evolutionary perspective, we, it's really good that we are interested in food. Um, we are evolved to remember what we like and be drawn to it. We are evolved to remember how to get food. We are evolved to seek comfort in food. Um, and this is really important. It's literally these are impulses that reside in the part of the brain that we share with almost all mammals. Uh, your house cat, a chimpanzee, right? They have a similar relationship to food to you Mm -hmm. and no amount of cognitive processing, no amount of willpower is going to be able to override those. It's structural in the brain. It's about what messages go out faster and what messages get prioritized. You have no control over this. And so When circumstances are right, when your lifestyle lines up properly and you're well-resourced emotionally, you can white knuckle through it for a while, maybe quite a while, but there's no world in which people talk about what a maintenance phase is. That's not a thing with that kind of dieting, right? There's no world in which when you relax that iron grip on your behaviors, Mm -hmm. you'll maintain that weight loss. And so what you have to do is literally change the underlying patterns, change the conversation and the impulses that are happening in that oldest part of your brain so that there's no willpower involved because that is what will sustain you for 10, 15, 30 years down the line. That's perfect. That literally, I was just going to ask you instead of dieting, how we can strive for, you know, sustainable weight loss and management. Um, the way you've been talking also, it almost seems like it's almost like a spiritual process because you are processing shame, right? And everything that's kind of related to you. And, you know, I also think that some people, you know, they have some actually some kind of trauma around like weight gain or whatever, like they get called out when they were younger, or, you know, that kind of thing. So I like that it's, you know, kind of going deeper in that sense. Yeah. And just kind of relying like on exercise and whatever external. There's such great data uh, connecting trauma and weight gain, right? This is not like a a fringy phenomenon. This is really, really well documented um, in some pretty famous psychiatry studies. What I see, you know, I I talk to literally thousands of women about their experience of weight gain. What I see is that the experience of gaining weight itself is traumatic and it becomes a self-reinforcing cycle. It's, it's really not too strong a word to use. Um, 
And we start to feel like our own bodies are the enemy, that they're not a hospitable place to be, which just reinforces this disconnection between our minds and our bodies. We, I think as a culture have started to talk more about the mind body connection in the last few years. Um, but even that I think is actually like, uh, presents the impression that those are separate systems. They're one system. Emotions are combinations of physical sensations in the body that our brain is ascribing meaning to, right? And cognition, thought, the things that we think of as mind are literally physical processes. Um, It's one system and everything we think affects our health and our health affects what we think and how we feel. And when we started to build Wavelength, like, I realized quickly <laughs> that this is this is an emotional experience, and as you said, it's almost spiritual. And um, you know, we talk a lot about the science because I think it's it's important for people to understand that this is not like I, I would I would say I describe I would describe myself as like allergic to woo culture when I started on this journey. And what I learned as I went through it is that like there's so much wisdom out there already. And the Western resistance to those ideas is about fear. And like the more you get into the science and the more you understand yourself, the more open you are to this idea that the experience has to be spiritual as well as physical. I love that. Yeah, it's totally, I actually, yeah, I've been learning more and more that a lot of our experiences, even though it seems external or just kind of physical, is actually really, kind of spiritual too Mm -hmm. um i wanted to say something about wavelength actually so wavelength is an app that you created right with your mom Mm -hmm. um and it's like a modern program for you know just eating and whatever else that we talked about um Mm -hmm. do you want to share more about that with your with our listeners yeah. So wavelength is, there are really four main parts of the app. So there's a 45 episode audio course that I narrate and it's really where a lot of the healing happens. Um, it's full of mindfulness act exercises and reflection exercises and brain training exercises and, and some education as well, just about like how your mind and body work on a, on a, scientific level. And then just like taking your brain through the experience that's going, that is required to heal. Then we have a daily check-in and steps for faster progress. So every day there's a quiz. It's kind of fun. It's based on Instagram stories actually. Um, and that quiz is about like understanding what's happening in your nervous system right now. So all that we talked about that noise in your nervous system leading to the urge to cope with food. We figure out what's going on. We ask about your sleep and we ask about your stress and your social life and how you're feeling. And then we give you a list of very specific activities. So we brought up the example of sleep, right? Let's say for the last five nights, you have slept really poorly and you're eating a suffering. We actually deliver special mindfulness exercises and self-care that responsive self-care, um, that quiets your nervous system and reduces your need to cope given what's going on for you in your life right then. Um, and then the last feature is personalized nutrition. So, I mean, as I'm sure you are very in touch with and your audience is super in touch with, like there isn't a one size fits all approach here. It depends so much on your metabolic health, your hormonal health, your goals, your lifestyle. And so we do this kind of rich seven point analysis when people come in and we deliver a personalized plan. That's a combination of personalized nutrition and 
personalized practices to help calm your nervous system sort of at a focus for you every month. And then every month we update that plan. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you're constantly, it's growing with you as you're on your healing journey. I think what stood out to me about Wasteland the most was the whole nervous system regulation mm -hmm. solutions and also giving uh, recommendations according to that person's situation, right? Mm -hmm. Like currently, I think that's really, really powerful. I mean, this is really the part that comes from my lived experience. Like all the knowledge in the world, all the self-reflection in the world, all the mindfulness in the world doesn't really mean that much when you're standing in front of the refrigerator. What you need is help right then based on what's going on in your life. And so that's really front and center in the app. Awesome. I will put that in the show notes so people can download it and check it right. out. Yeah. And we've actually, if you visit wavelength.live backslash nourish, uh, we've got a 50% a fifty discount for you there. Oh, nice. Wavelength.live slash nourish. Nourish. Okay. Got it. That's awesome. Um, that's amazing for anyone who's listening right now. Um, if they want to actually learn more about you, um, you know, your team and all that, where can they find you? Yeah. Again, uh, you, if you navigate to that site, you'll get to our website. You can poke around there, uh, find us in both app stores, wavelength, the, uh, for app for healthy eating. And then you can find us on Instagram at joy and wavelength. Awesome. That sounds great. I love your story first of all. And I love, you know, just learning more about like behavioral change and how it's linked to our nervous system and all that. That's really cool. Um, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me.